Welcome to the podcast where we clear up common misconceptions in biology and evolution. And learn that all the answers to evolution's mysteries are simple in the way that everything is astoundingly complicated. Welcome to Darwin's Black Book. Welcome to Darwin's Black Book, an evolutionary podcast. My name is Tom Land, a zoologist and professional researcher. And I'm Rebecca White. I'm a PhD student in evolution and genetics at the University of Exeter. And this week we have got a weirdly specific episode for you. This is what I like to call the frog episode. Yeah, so in previous episodes, we've looked at some kind of wider theories and stories and themes like animal migration and extreme mm -hmm. living mm -hmm. and some and a cool person. Yep. Um, so this time we thought we'd focus on an animal group. And thank you to Kelly for tweeting us pictures of frogs and <laughs> henceforth inspiring this episode. Indeed. Um, Kelly, to answer your question, actually, so she sent us a picture of the Asian blunt-headed burrowing frog or Glyphoglossus molossus, which is the best species name, great name. I've ever heard. Um, yeah. But she did ask, is, was it ill? No, it's not. If you want to understand that, go and Google it, because it is one of the oddest frogs I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I understand why she thought that, but he's not hes not ill. That's just is, what he's meant to yeah, look like. That's what he's just allowed to look like. Kind of got like an angry old man face. Like. So, frogs. Frogs? The word frog is actually an order. So, you know, you have your sort of kingdom down to genus species. Mm -hmm. um, frogs are an order called Anura, and they're a mostly carnivorous group of short-bodied tailless amphibians. Warty frogs tend to be called toads, but the distinction between frogs and toads isn't actually from evolutionary history or taxonomy. It's just kind of a casual name that we use. Um, so all toads are frogs, but not all frogs are toads. That is, I was okay? going to say, was there two separate divisions almost as some frogs and there are toads, but no. No, they're... just a warty frog is a toad. But there's still also a frog. That's kind of interesting and also disappointing, but okay. Yeah, I think <laughs> I was told something different as a child, something I... about water. Mm. Yeah, so in terms of evolution, real mm. evolution, mm. Um, the oldest fossil, um, which has been called a proto-frog, I love that, appeared in the early Triassic of Madagascar. But molecular clock dating, which is where you kind of look at the DNA and see how old the species is, um, this suggests that their origins may actually extend even further back into the Permian, which is 265 million years ago. So oldest than the proto-frog. They're old. They're old. Um, yeah, and actually I was going to say the issue with, the main issue with finding fossils about frogs. Frogs are amphibians. They need to keep their skin moist in order to respire effectively. They absorb oxygen through their skin. I'll talk a bit about that later. But... They live in very damp environments, and the best place for them is ponds and also jungles, um, both of which are not very good for uh, fossilization because there's a lot of microbes living in there, there's a lot of damp molds and all sorts which will just break up the body, and then there's nothing left to fossilize. So, yeah, jungles aren't great for fossilization, hence, it's been a bit of a sketchy, a sketchy kind of gluing together of the fossil record but amber's good actually some stuff has been trapped in amber like a tree frog dating back 99 million years um which just looks a little squashed but for the most part it seems okay and um, just to put things in perspective 99 million years ago mid cretaceous uh 
And that's literally before T-Rex was running around. So that tree frog was around before Tyrannosaurus Rex. Wow. It's Electro Rana, if you want to have a look at that. But yeah, it had a beetle in the same am um, amber nodule, which was potentially food it was trying to get, and it got caught on the way. So, yeah. What happened to him if he was about to eat, and then both he and his prey... Or maybe he saw the beetle sitting on the amber, size. got a bit ambitious and also got stuck. <laughs> Ambitious. <laughs> Moving swiftly onwards. So anyway, frog fossils have been found on every single one of the Earth's continents. In 2020, so just mm. last year, they found 40 million year old helmeted frog fossils on Seymour Island in the Antarctic Peninsula. So yeah, every continent. Because I was going to um, say every continent apart from Antarctica, but no, no including got flipping everywhere. And this indicates that this region where the peninsula is now was once home to frogs, or at least related to the frogs, now living in South America in the north of Vegas forest. So from this we can learn frogs are really diverse. And they're actually one of the five most diverse vertebrate orders. Having a look through them for this episode, I think I have underestimated how cool frogs are. Yeah, and from that, today you can find them almost all over the world. So instead of the question is, where can you find frogs? I thought, where where can't you find frogs? Um, and you can't find them in some areas of the Middle East and a few areas in the north of the Northern Hemisphere, so right at the top of the, the map. Yeah. Surprisingly, so you didn't say deserts because they've also somehow got there. Yeah, we'll come back to that later, right? Yep. Um, but yeah, this means they've adapted some to some very, very different niches and environments. So, being able to do that, they've got some pretty cool characteristics. And there are about 7,300 recorded frog species, which count for around 88% of extant amphibian species. So extant means not extinct. So of all amphibians on the world today, 88% is of, of frogs. That's mad. And yeah, the greatest concentration of frog diversity is in tropical rainforests. This is where this most species rich and this is again linked back to that idea of why they can't fossilize and why we don't have great fossils of them because most of them are in tropical rainforests so they have been around for an extraordinarily large amount of time longer than you may have expected and they though though to an untrained eye a lot of them do look like well the same to be perfectly honest they have an extraordinary diversity <laughs> in terms of their survival and reproduction they tend, well, the most flamboyant and dramatically coloured ones tend to be in, in rainforests and jungles. But in Europe, we have 60 to 70 species, uh, depending if you're counting subspecies or not, which is still a remarkable number. Uh, we have, for example, tree frogs, which we normally associate only with thick jungle. We have spadefoot toads uh, chilling out in northern Italy, also known as the garlic toad, because if you prod it, it basically uh, screams and then emits <laughs> a very strong garlic odour, um, which I assume tastes awful. Is it the same compound as garlic or is that just a, does it just smell similar? I don't know. That'd be very interesting to go and look up, though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, throughout this, you may notice a pattern. Uh, don't lick frogs. What? It's just, Why? Yeah. Okay, we reached the point slick. where we need to <laughs> tell people not to lick frogs. <laughs> I'm just going to stick that one in there. I'll, I'll get to why they are. It, it's a, it's it's quite fun. Um, then you have the Saharan frog as well, which lives around kind of the southern coast of the Mediterranean, as well as Spain and France, making the most of short rainfall, staying in natural wells and waterholes for generations at a time before popping out as soon as it rains. In terms of popping out as soon as they, the rain comes, I saw a video of, I think it was in Zambia, and there were some 
it was quite rainy. I think it was the raining season. And um, there were lots of bullfrogs that had decided it was time to come out. And there were hundreds of them all over this kind of muddy area, all kind of making this deep croaking noise. It was cool. It was really cool. You're waiting for the same signal, a bit of moisture, and how they know basically the moisture will soak through the earth and hit their little... Um, a chamber where they're, they're kind of waiting out the dry period. And what they do, an adaptation for the dry period, you dig yourself a hole and you go into estivation, which is a type of hibernation. But I didn't know how they did it. What happens is they uh, they sit there and then they shed the top few layers of their skin, which is a watertight compartment which they the rest of them then sits in. That dries out and they're still moist and wet inside mm. until it rains next. And then when they want to come out, they just break out of their own skin. Like a little cocoony thing. Yeah, which is grim as heck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie, that took me off guard. Um, but yeah, they, they eat brine shrimp, crustaceans and anything you find really in the middle of a desert uh, brine pool, basically. I learned while well, researching this. What I found interesting, Becca, is finding frogs where frogs shouldn't be, okay. i.e. deserts and cold places like Alaska. Uh, because looking at looking at their skin for a second, their skin is a permeable membrane. It's how they breathe. It's also how they absorb some water and moisture, and they always need to keep it wet. Keeping it wet means they can actually get oxygen into them easier. Oh, interesting. Uh, absorb the oxygen easier. So, drying out, bad. Freezing, probably worse. But frogs, having some time to adapt, have, have come around at this issue. They, in hot weather, they have a very mucousy skin. So it's not only damp, it's, it's very mucousy. Therefore, sticky. sticky. sticky it's not going to er evaporate as easy. And the perfect example of this one is breviceps, or the rain frogs, which are kind of like beautiful name they are rain frog so round <laughs> so uh, interestingly so that we're recording this on monday after um an episode of perfect planet the bbc documentary aired uh, on sunday night and they actually had these rain frogs in it um so it's in the weather episode check it out if Narrated you want to by david attenborough as well it's a big of selling point it's absolutely oh, it's fantastic but they they are an incredible animal when it rains they pop themselves out and they they yeah, the tiny little four to six centimeter pebbles um they walk around they don't hop and they can reverse as quickly as they can walk forwards which i think is quite quite nifty and if they're in trouble they just reverse into the sand as well which is adorable <laughs> so there's no powder there <laughs> just all these pebbles reversing into the sand um but uh, yeah what they do is they live in locations in which they shouldn't they only have a range of kind of 2,000 kilometres squared from Namibia um, or the South African border. And it rains twice a year, approximately for two or three days at a time. So very, very small amount of rain. And they will wait from one raining period to the next raining period to pop out. When they do come into the open air, it's an opportunity for them to mingle, get to know local singles in their area. <laughs> 
Um, and it's also the only chance, yeah, the frogs, the males can show off their song by sitting in trees and chirping away. It's kind of the only chance they'll get until the next time it rains in several months' time. So the... the definition of speed dating. <laughs> Indeed it is. So Breviceps, the rain frog, and the males, when has attracted a, a female that's coming towards him because he's got the loudest, most interesting song, secretes glue and then just glues himself to the female. I mean... Talk about clingy boyfriends. Uh, I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just the male sticks himself to the female and then reverses underground where he fertilises her eggs. She will build a chamber where she'll lay all of her fertilised eggs. Uh, then the female will stay nearby until they've all hatched as actual uh, little baby frogs and next time it rains go off in their own direction with life which i think is quite interesting yeah um oh wow and they do have much drier skin the adult frogs than than expected uh as just to minimize moisture loss uh but yeah this adaptation basically for frogs in hot weather hide a lot but the, it's the fact is the the fact that they exist in deserts at all i think is an absolute testament to the the strength of life holding on in in some fantastic places and and they thrive, which is incredible. So, dealt with hot weather. Now looking at colder weather for a bit. And it's actually, where, interestingly, where this, this episode started in my head. Did uh, Do I remember... I don't know if I told you. the um, Where do frogs go in winter? Yeah, you never answered that question. Aha! And now I shall. Okay. <laughs> so this is where it started. And the reason why I put it second to hot hot climates for frogs is because it's... I don't know. It's it's for me a frog in a desert. It's cooler than a frog freezing itself solid. But you know, hmm. so yeah, they have two ways to deal with the cold. Number one, hibernation, much like the hot weather. They'll build themselves a little chamber called a hibernaculum. It could be under a rock, could be dug into the ground, half a meter or so, or sometimes underwater, like the leopard frog. It'll literally just rest at the bottom of a pond. Uh, which I think is rather rather adorable in oxygen-rich water. And then they stop breathing. So all the oxygen they get is just straight through their skin, which is a bit a bit nuts. Um, but then they can still kind of hibernate properly uh, without just dying because they have antifreeze in their blood. Oh, like Arctic fish. Like Arctic fish. It's Yeah, the Arctic mollies also have something very, very similar. And yeah, so obviously antifreeze is the way to go. So their Clearly, yeah. blood will actually freeze solid during this period. Um, well, that's not really antifreeze, is it, if it's just well, going to freeze? Well, that's the thing, because it's quite interesting. So what happens is, well, if you go to the extreme period, the Alaskan wood frog, it's called the the antifreeze they have is called a cryptoprotectant. I think it's just a better thing to yeah. call antifreeze. Oh, what are you uh, cleaning your car off with? You know, cryptoprotectant. <laughs> uh, I'd be that person. Significantly cooler. Uh, I shall be that person. So what it does, it will circulate glucose, it will transfer um, or convert stored glycogen to glucose. It will lower the freezing point. We talked of... about that last yeah, week. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. So what we said last week is that the whole reason um, Dr. Joseph Graves was looking at um, glycogen, which is how glucose is stored in animals, mm. he looked at it in flies because it's so conserved among the animal kingdom, mm. including in frogs. So it's already already relevant. What happens? It lowers the freezing point of water in their body. Therefore, freezing happens very very quickly because if you expand the time in which stuff freezes cells burst but if you do it very quickly it retains 
it, it the cells retain their structure. So what they they freeze the minor stuff first, extremities first, then they'll freeze the blood, then they'll freeze the heart and the brain and the liver and the kind of the core things. And as soon as the temperature starts warming up in spring again, uh, the Alaskan wood frogs will uh, un well, thaw, unfreeze the heart, liver, brain first and then get around to doing its blood and actually its eyes are one of the last things that unfreezes which is ter it's terrifying it's a frozen frog with completely white eyes that just kind of slowly melt in and then it literally just blinks rivets and wanders off <laughs> it is weird blinks rivets and wanders off <laughs> exactly after dying for a short period of time so just clarifying with this the freezing happens over the course of several hours, basically overnight, as opposed to split second. But it's not a matter of frostbite, where, you know, it's over the course of several days and your cells are bursting, everything dies and falls off, which is bad as things go. But in terms of how they stay alive, so those are just kind of the really interesting bits on, on hot weather and cold weather on, and where they exist and survive. But I really wanted to look at two aspects of their existence respiration and protection okay so these are two rather important aspects in their life uh starting with respiration frogs have three ways to respire as a breathe they have three ways mm -hmm. to breathe mm -hmm. as opposed to the one which we use which is through our lungs thank you <laughs> just <laughs> in case sure. in case anyone was unsure out there <laughs> So yes, whereas we only have one, the frogs have three ways. You've got the normal, they, they have normal, I say normal, it's very uh, human-centric. They have the <laughs> pulmonary way of doing it, which is again through their lungs, which tend okay. they tend to do on land only. And That makes sense. You can actually see them doing this when, if they are on land and their mouth is slightly open, they're breathing through their lungs. The second way also oh, does. They look sweet when they do that. They are very, very sweet. They just kept I didn't know that's what they were doing. There you go. The second way also on land, if they've got their mouth closed but their nostrils open, which you normally see them as, they're doing something called buccal respiration. Before the air reaches their lungs, there's a little sac called the buccal sac, or the buccal pharyngeal cavity, if you want the full sexy scientific name. <laughs> it, now, this isn't the vocal sac, which is which is actually at the bottom of their mouth this is this is inside um inside their body and here capillaries are so close to the surface the capillaries being blood vessels literally a single blood cell wide are so close to the surface that oxygen can pass really easily into them it's what we have in our lungs they effectively have an extra lung cavity yeah which is yeah rather interesting so if you see the mouth closed nostrils open that's how they're breathing now those two things don't happen underwater but what happens constantly whether it's on water or on land all they need is a moist skin effectively they well commit to cutaneous respiration they breathe through their skin they absorb oxygen through their skin which i think is incredible they do this when they're hibernating when they're swimming underwater whatever it's it's an awesome superpower to have to be perfectly honest the Final bit was protection, which I think is where frogs excel. The midwife toad, the male picks up the eggs and actually goes and deposits them in a safe location in a pond or a crevice with some water in. Its back is covered in warts. Um, as you said, on toads, they have warty... Ah, uh, hence yes. toad. Warty frog. 
if you try and grab one of them, the warts excrete a noxious white paste. A paste. Which sounds a lot like pus, but uh, it's not. It's not pus. It is um, <laughs> nothing can palate it, which means it causes automatic gag reflex. It is the most horrific thing. Uh, so, for example, a fox grabs it in its mouth. This thing starts secreting white paste, and then the fox very rapidly drops it and then spends the next week uh, wishing it hadn't <laughs> done that. Very hard to get rid of out of clothes. Very hard to get um, the smell out of your nostrils, apparently, Oof. according to some researchers. Awesome. So that's amazing. But the property, so all frogs, so so these toads can produce this really noxious paste, but all frogs have a toxic slime on their skin, effectively. Their skin has a to- cytotoxic, cardiotoxic, and hemolytic compound on their skin, as well as anaesthetic anesthetic and antibiotic for rapid Please, healing. Please explain what these words mean. Yes. So you've got the anesthetic and the uh, antibiotic basically to heal quickly if they're injured. The rest of them, cytotoxic, is a compound that just kills cells outright. You've got cardiotoxic, which is a compound which actually disrupts your heart signals and gives you a small heart attack. Ah, cardio. Yep. Um, It just disrupts. uh, And then the third one, the hemolytic compound, basically just destroys red blood cells. So Uh, please, please don't lick frogs. (laughs) (laughs) Just, yeah. In case you were tempted by the um, The the white paste. Yep. Or any sort of folklore or pop culture about licking frogs and getting high. No. Oh, boy. I really don't think that's pop culture. (laughs) I mean, I know we're... With scientists, so we're not like down with the kids, but I really don't think <laughs> yeah, on TikTok don't. people are licking frogs or anything. I don't encourage it after all of that. So, yeah, it's actually the health. So, with those quantities, especially the heart signals one, the right the research is currently in development about the right quantities of that uh, cardiotoxic compound might actually be used in medicines to help save lives uh, with specific... But that makes sense if there's anaesthetics and antibiotics. Absolutely. And also the cardiotoxic stuff, basically it disrupts heart uh, electrical signals. That's how it gives you a heart attack. It prevents you from the signals um, from the signals travelling throughout the heart. But if you administer it perhaps in the right dose, then you could help with things like arrhythmia or ah. um, other such uh, diseases that tackle the heart. So yeah, it, it, there's actually some some light in the darkness for that one. So, uh, but my favourite one of all, I've saved the best till last. Becca, have you heard of the hairy slash wolverine frog? I can't say I have. Should I have? Uh, depends how much you're into frogs, I guess. I mean, I love frogs, but I've not heard of these. So, it, Trichobatrachus robustus, or the hairy frog. The males, when they're in their breeding season, they tend to spend a lot of time in water. And considering this is a very terrestrial species of frog, not all frogs stay in water, as, as you've probably got the gist of. But the males walk away from the land lots of time in water, and they don't have a well enough adapted skin to help absorb loads of oxygen through their skin as well as some other more aquatic frogs they grow long tendrily hairs um out the sides and near their legs and it looks like hair huh. but it's kind of kind of bit weird but it's all full of blood vessels lots of surface area lots of uh space for basically just oxygen to be absorbed into the body hang on hear me out mm. roots Mm, yeah. Frog roots. Oh, oh, that gives me weird, 
weird chills. I'm not going to lie. I'm not growing roots at the side. That I just... Ugh. That's kind of... That's what root, plant roots do in the soil. Same idea, right? Just... Oh, same idea. I, they also look exactly like plant oh, roots. Oh, no way. Okay. How big are the frogs? So these frogs, well, the males are only about 10 to 13 centimetres long, 4 to 5 inches, uh, from snout to vent, which is just at their tail. Uh, well, the females are about 11, 8 to 11 centimetres, which is odd because normally the females are at least a third larger in terms of amphibians. But these ones, the males are larger, which is quite interesting. So, yeah, and they found in Central Africa near the Congo, should you want to go and look for them? Not sure you would, though, because Becca's just Googled it. Uh, Google, Google it. Googled it, and she is pulling some weird faces. <laughs> I've just looked at one for the first time. It's Describe um, your emotions. It's my best to describe it. It's kind of like how you would picture kind of a typical toad in your head, but then like... Add some roots. Um, I don't know, they're kind of like the tangly roots. They're like... Yeah. <laughs> like a like say you cut off a kind of a teenager's you know when teenagers try to grow beards teenage boys yeah, try fluff. to grow beards it's that kind of fluff yeah so imagine you took that off them when they've grown it out as far as they can and just put it on the back of a toad that's a really grim way that's of describing kind of it, it but like. it's also incredibly accurate oh boy um, sorry please continue <laughs> but the defense so I think we've shamed this frog enough. They're incredible. But the reason they're incredible, they have a defense mechanism which is unique, well, that we know of, unique in the animal kingdom. So they have probably got it from the wolverine, and it's not saying wolverine frog, it's not comparing it to the wolverine the animal, it's comparing it to wolverine the comic book character with the claws that come through the fists. Um, when threatened, tiny bony barb hooks break through the toe pads on this frog oh literally like wolverine literally and it's not like they're claws because claws are made of keratin no 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 these are the actual toe bones that slit through the toe pads and yeah they use these defensive claws so they kind of have to call it wolverine really Mm. to be fair it's like cat claws but tiny and through the fingers the toe bone (laughs) is is connected um to a kind of a horny nodule in, inside the inside the toe itself um connected by collagen now this collagen snaps the muscle pushes the toe forward through the bottom of the skin and then it's a little claw the funny thing is this took some it, almost an accident in in discovering it gerald Dole, the quite famous uh naturalist very big fan of his books he discovered this as he picked one up and then what looked like a fine frog when he picked it up to begin with actually drew blood as it started scratching him and tearing his hands apart which is remarkable so it's that collagen so their collagen the collagen seal that seals this claw to the end of their finger snaps the it does retract but no one really knows how so the most likely thing is the finger pads heal and as it's healing pushes the claws back into its own finger wherein the collagen then reattaches to the bone so for context um collagen in in humans is basically the whole scaffold that holds your stuff your inside stuff together it holds your bones together it just keeps you in one piece you don't want that snapping and i guess these frogs do want that snapping it just sounds hideous to me yeah it's it's, i'm not sure like the pain threshold that they have but it's pretty up there i'm not gonna (laughs) lie um yeah so the two reasons people have come up with for this is better grip when climbing on rocks but i think it 
personally, looking at this from a scientific point of view, that is an incredibly large amount of energy to constantly stab and regrow through the base of your toes. Plus, it's a line of infection. If you're using it to climb up a rock, it's just an open wound ready to get infected. Plus, um, a lot of things climb up rocks and they don't need to do this. So there are definitely more energy efficient ways. For example, grip, when you go rock climbing, if you've ever been rock climbing, notice how your fingertips do not break through the bottom of your fingers <laughs> in order Aww. to climb up the wall. Um, but it could be most likely a mating ritual. Um, oh, those are wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably. But again, <laughs> the most likely in, mating rituals likely as well, but more likely than that is, is probably defence. So I was going to do a section similar to Tom's, but um, instead I want to call this section my favourite frogs because it, and their <laughs> I think, cool traits. I think that's really nice. Just, just you know what? Let's have a chat about some cool frogs. I do have some new favourites. One of them was already my favourite. Um, I'll, I'll let you know which one that is. Um, but first of all, I want to talk about... We're called Darwin's Black Book, so of course I had to talk about Darwin's frog. Hey. Um, this is actually named for quite a few different frogs, but I'm going to talk about Northern Darwin's frog or Rhinoderma darwinii. So these frogs are native to the forest streams of Chile and Argentina, and Hang I on. chose to talk about. Hello. Sorry to interrupt. You just nailed that Latin pronunciation. I practiced. <laughs> That's you nailed that. Because I just want to people point have out. been um, commenting on the fact I really struggled to say Latin. I just I can say them, but as soon as we're recording, I just panic and get it wrong. So <laughs> I, I just practiced this time. Nicely done. Thank you. Do you want to hear it again? Rhinoderma darwinii. Oh. Anyway, um, they might be extinct. We don't really know. Oh, that's that that um, shattered quite quickly. That's why I wanted to talk about them because that is interesting in itself. So if you want to go find them, you can go to um, the forest streams of Chile and Argentina, um, and they have a kind of pointed nose which is flat at the end, and they look they're kind of like arrowheads. They they look really really cool, and they're, they're um, fantastic. About three point two centimeters in length so that's oh, kind of like so small i don't know why i'm showing you we're doing a podcast um, <laughs> excellent podcasting content <laughs> it is this big 3.2 centimeters in length and it's been described as one of nature's most extreme dads so again females lay their eggs on damp damp ground damp ground darling. damp ground <laughs> So again, females lay their eggs on damp ground, and when the developing tadpoles start to wiggle in their egg capsules, so just they start movement, mm. um, the guarding male will then swallow them into his vocal sac, into his <sighs> face. Sure, okay. Um, but this protects the babies. This is really adaptive because it looks after them. Yeah, I'm and not even surprised there. at this point. <laughs> They're great dads. They stay there. Um, in the vocal sac until they can develop their own jaws and digestive tracts so they can survive on their own. They really need these. So it's really good that they can develop with inside their, their dad's um, vocal sacs and their face um, before they can grow the, the parts they really need to survive. Um, and at that point, the dad will then walk them over to the stream and release them out of his mouth and out they go into the world. Um, they haven't been seen since 1981, which is why we're not sure if they're extinct or not. Um, they could have been driven to extinction by habitat loss, climate change, or a disease, the, the chytri fungus, which um, Tom's going to tell you more about towards the end. Um, you'll notice a theme, a lot of frogs are at, at risk from this. Um, so the habitat loss can be through the, plant the planting of pine plantations, um, so humans pi planting pine trees, um, and this threatens, yeah, threatens much of the, the former and current ranges of the species, so places where we knew they lived, but obviously they can't anymore. Um, we know there aren't any 
of these frogs in any protected areas and none within the places we knew they were, um, which is why we're kind of sus thinking they're extinct. But um, it's hard to say. Maybe we'll see them again. Maybe we will. Um, anyway, so my second frog that I love, um, this this one was already my favourite because I saw it in a, um, a reptile shop and he was so cute. <laughs> and I had to learn everything I could, so I had to talk about him. Oh, fantastic. Um, and this is the Amazon milk frog, also called the Mission Golden-Eyed Tree Frog. Um, and the latter name is Trachycephalus resinificatrix. Mm-hmm. That one I had Nailed to write it. phonetically because uh... I couldn't practice it. Um, and they first dis- were discovered in Brazil and they're native to the Amazon rainforest oh, in they South are America. Fantastic. They are absolutely fantastic. Yes, they have blue blue inside their mouths so when they're, <gasps> they're breathing and they open their mouths a little bit. It's a really nice kind of milky blue colour. Um, but that's not, yeah, but that's not why they're called milk frogs, not because of the milky blue mouth. Oh. Um, they're called milk frogs because they secrete a milky fluid um, through their skin when they're stressed. Uh, Sound sounds familiar? familiar. Yep. Yeah, and this is poisonous. It's against predators. <laughs> yeah, that's um, great. Thanks to this trait, they don't have natural enemies. Um, the only en- enemies they have are themselves, um, tadpoles of their own species feeding on the eggs that haven't hatched yet. Um, and they are they can be between 6.4 and 10.2 centimetres in length. So decent size for a frog, because we're talking about a lot of tiny ones. Um, yeah, the adult frogs are a light grey, um, and they can have brown or black banding. And juveniles can have really strong contrasts. I think the one I saw in the shop was, was a juvenile, because he was really small, and he tucked his legs in and was um, stuck to the side of a glass. So he was really kind of oval-shaped. Oh, oh fantastic. Um, and as they age, their skin develops a slightly bumpy texture. So the, the babies are smooth and the adults get more bumpy. Um, in my notes, I have now written freaking cute. <laughs> um, so the males will only make a sound from water-filled holes in trees. So this keeps them safe. Right. Um, and the heights... And this has to be quite high, so between 2 and 32 metres. So it keeps mm. them off the ground. They're safe and moist up there. They can make sounds and they can be okay. Yep. And their cooling only seems to occur during rainless, cloudless nights. Um, and they can travel really long distance through the use of low frequencies. And a lot of animals in the rainforest will use low frequencies to make their sound carry. And this is called Morton's Sound Window. And I think we should do a whole uh, episode on acoustic ecology. I was because, just thinking that. Yeah, because songs, like bird songs and cooling, has been selected for, for long distance communication. So this is really important evolutionarily in, in many different kinds of animals. And you can see it in the Amazon milk frog. That's cool. That is that is really quite interesting. Do you have any more favourite frogs? I do. I have poison dart frogs. Find out more about this in a fortnight, where we talk about some more jaw-dropping frogs and some of their threats. See you next time. <laughs>